Welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Parikh, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Future of Application Security. Today, I have Mohit Kalra from Sprinkler with us. Mohit, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Arshil. Mohit, I would love for you to give a little bit more introduction other than just your name uh, in terms of what do you do, where do you work, and what are you passionate about in security? Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. So let me start from the beginning. So I started my career as a software engineer back at IBM. And then I kind of moved to Adobe, where I spent a long and satisfying career. Uh, I started as a developer there, you know, managed a lot of PDF technologies, worked on flagship products. And then eventually I started getting into application security and uh, I kickstarted application security for my group. And then eventually I moved uh, into the more central security team by transforming the team from just being desktop to cloud and mobile. Then I've kind of taken up cloud, led cloud security teams, uh, cloud security engineering teams. So after having spent quite a few years at Adobe, I kind of, uh, you know, joined Sprinkler as the head of product security. So what I do today is like my team is responsible for ensuring that our product, uh, be it the application, be it the infrastructure are secured proactively. So my team will undertake, you know, security tooling, automation, threat modeling, pen testing engaging with vendors, sifting through a lot of data to find you know, the needle in the haystack to ensure that we can proactively secure the product and give you know, both tactical and strategic recommendations to the teams out there so that our product is built securely and uh, it's deployed securely as well. That's amazing. I love the use of uh, product security as a function. Tell me a little bit about how that is different than traditionally what either we have application security or infrastructure security? I think uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. So the two security streams of cloud security and application security are kind of merging together. So my definition is that if you are going to do anything with the product, if you're going to you know write code for it at the application layer or deploy it at the infrastructure or even build it or source some external components in its supply chain, all of that, it kind of, you know, is in product security. So if you're going to be a part of the product, be it infrastructure, be it the build process, or be it the actual code that is the product itself, all of that is product security and securing that kind of is an end-to-end role where you're not supposed to, like, you should be able to secure above the network and below the network all at the same time. Right. So basically, because the product runs on this different layers of the stack that includes the cloud and a lot of the cloud configurations and the infrastructure components that go on it, like containers and artifacts and things like that, they're all effectively stored as code or you know artifacts in a registry. So it makes sense to consolidate those functions under this umbrella of product security. And that brings a new holistic view. And by the way, in my previous role, my team was also product security, and that was exactly the, the reasoning behind it, because 
containers are stored as Docker files in the GitHub. Yeah, cloud configuration is stored in GitHub. So I need people who can read, understand code and be able to work with it. So we, we defined this team for product security, which was the traditional AppSec and cloud security combined together as well. Right. Exactly. Sure. Fantastic. So you've been at Sprinkler. What does Sprinkler do? So Sprinkler is into customer experience management. What that means is, you know, if you want to talk to your customers through social media, uh, want to listen to them, or want to advertise on multiple social media platforms, customers use uh, the Sprinkler platform in order to do that on their social media streams. Also, uh, you know, we're also into customer care as a service. So when you see pop-ups, artificial intelligence-based pop-ups come up on sites that, you know, interact with you or give you, uh, you know, voice support, et cetera, Sprinkler runs behind the scene as well. So it's kind of what we do is we try to make our customers' customers happy. And, and we provide that platform that allows us to do that. Fantastic. So... For an audience who doesn't understand this in depth, why is AppSec or ProdSec important? Like, where does that fit into the broader business? So it's a, you know, security is very important for the company because, you know, we're a SaaS company, we're running in the public cloud, and we deal with data. We would deal with data. We are custodians of other people's data. So we are, you know, responsible for ensuring that security is a scalable program within the company. That works, you know, in tandem with the engineering and the tech ops teams out here. So because the it's as any other SaaS product, you know, when you are providing the interfaces to for the customers to talk via mobile applications, APIs, or web applications, and then behind the scenes you deal with data, it's paramount that security is important for, for any company. And the, and the more critical or the larger the data is, you know, the responsibilities manifold. Right, right. Yeah, I have spent some years leading security and customer experience management as well. So I totally understand exactly what you're saying. And uh, there's a very, very large volume of data that these uh, platforms can consolidate for sure. So now, you, since you recently joined and before this podcast, we were talking a little bit about you know your goals for maturing product security to the next levels, the milestones that you're thinking about. Can you talk briefly about How do you think about maturity of product security programs, at least from your perspective, where do you want to take this function towards? Right. So I think, you know, when you start a security program, you are tapping into whatever you can. You're running any tools you can. You're running it on, you know, assets that you're able to identify and then you're able to, uh, you know, take help from vendors, et cetera, take a security program off the ground. But eventually what you do develop is you, you know, develop, that the right security stack for yourself, you have the right capabilities in terms of tools, you have the right capabilities in terms of processing people that are able to then take the security program to a more scalable level. So from a more immature program, you know, you kind of step into a more consistent, reliable and repeatable program that eventually you can execute with, you know, and kind of tie it down to the the release that the company is making out there. So in terms of, uh, so in a mature program, once you have hired the right people and you have established a strong program and process and you have the right security capabilities, you know, you first start with kind of being able to enumerate the security risk within the company and then kind of pipe it into the engineering processes so that engineering can start, you know, working upon remediating those risks. So this is like, you know, 
a step that every company needs to take that the ability to enumerate, have the processes and have the ability to remediate the risk in a timely way. And then as you advance, you kind of start investing more into protection such that, you know, when the security program sits side by side with the application itself and the product itself and starts protecting the application in real time, uh, such preventative controls kind of is where, you know, people strive to be such that security is not a process of enumeration and remediation that happens afterwards, but it's more kind of a, a real-time protection that can happen. But as we go forward, I see like, you know, the security program is going to evolve into what we do today, more of uh, DevSecOps happening where the issues are given to developers way in advance. And also, you know, some level of protection at runtime that is going to protect the product from the risk that, you know, might not have been remediated yet. So a combination of that is where I see the product security program to go. I also see that it's not going to be much difference between like cloud and application. You'll treat it the same. So protecting at both levels at the application layer and the cloud layer is going to be, you know, pretty commonplace in years to come. That's one of the best definitions I've heard of a program going from reactive to proactive. And you you explained it in a very easy to understand way, in tangible terms. So going from just enumeration of risk and piping into engineering to react to the risk that you already have to going more proactive and invest in protection and building proactive preventive controls. So so you preempt the risk that might manifest in production at some point. That's phenomenal. So that's also a very, very complex topic though, right? There's many layers upon layers into this. So when you just picking up one of the first ones, enumeration of risk, there's multiple parts of it. First is enumeration, like what actually do you have in your environment? Understanding what do you have in your environment? Does security even know about everything that exists in your dev organization? understanding the risk of it. It's not just risk is not vulnerabilities. It's a vulnerabilities that are a part of it. But what is the true risk of that? And then being able to communicate that effectively, like that by itself is a very complex project. Let's peel the onion a little bit more. Let's, uh, let's talk about, start with the enumeration, like how do you know what do you actually have in your environment? And the reason I ask that question is typically security teams are central security teams, product security teams are central teams with many, many dev teams that keep changing, that keep building and deploying things, they don't necessarily come to the security team to tell them like, hey, this is what we're doing. So as a central security team, how do you get that visibility into what is your attack surface? What do you actually have in your environment? Right, that's an excellent question. And maybe we can spend the entire podcast on that. <laughs> but so the first thing is, of course, you, you know, so you're new to the company, you're coming in, you don't know what to secure. So you go to your product company's page and try to see what are you selling to your customers? You know, that's the starting point. That gives you, you know, at least you get the idea of what the product is about and how many sub products there are and what kind of offering that the company has. Within the company, you know, there are lots of ways to learn about the product, not just kind of this. Of course, you should talk to people, learn about the product, get hold of recordings and architecture diagrams so that you can better understand the product. But you can also listen to the product as things happen. You know, a few ways of doing that is if you align to the release process of your company, you will all of a sudden be able to listen to all the requirements that are happening. 
And then when you look at all the requirements, you start understanding the product from more ways than just kind of understanding the you know the marketing page of that that product. Another trick I can share is that if you start like looking at the main developers in your company and you start looking at their, you know, source code activity, you will start seeing the major contributed repos that they're contributing to. So at the end of the day, you're supposed to make an inventory that what are the products, what are the functional solutions underneath it so that you can make logical, you know, attribution when something happens and, you know, you want to kind of find a file of vulnerability against somebody. You need the list of products and also the owners. You need a list of all the repos that your company has. You need a list of all the APIs, the mobile applications. So kind of it's just about collecting information, centralizing it. And it takes time sometimes to build and sometimes there are surprising discoveries. But most of the time, you know, when you have a handle over what you're securing, then the problem of applying tools to it kind of gives proper coverage. And that's kind of, you know, one important step that you do take. Right, right. And since the scope of your function is product security, I'm guessing you'd also look into the artifacts being deployed, being built and deployed, right? So artifact registries, AWS accounts, and things like that, which yes. become also complicated if you're multi-cloud, if you have acquisitions with different tech stacks and all of those complexities. Yes, all cloud accounts, all hosts, all containers, all uh, applications, all uh, you know, built artifacts, everything, I think is kind of something that you need to have a handle over. But of course, you know, day one, you're not going to secure all of them. So then you start strategizing on how to start having incremental capabilities within the company that will start kind of securing the right assets in the right time. Right, right. And that's the key part, the right assets at the right time, right? And that's where a lot of the risk calculation comes into the picture. So help me understand a little bit about how do you calculate the risk in an organization like yours? Let me also kind of stress that, you know, when a security program executes, what you will undertake as a capability will not just depend on risk, but also, which is going to be an important part, but will also depend on the needs of the company and the needs of the business. For example, you know, if a customer, you know, does require to see some reports that is important to them, you will prioritize that higher. Or if, uh, there's a compliance need to uh, support some security functions, you will support that. So the security program, unfortunately, is not going to be like a very easy to like, you know, add this capability and then this. Pretty much the security team is like, you know, the orchestrator of capabilities and the decision to take the capabilities depends on, you know, where the business is going, who's asking for what, what the risk is like. So once you have, you know, done an inventory, you start kind of firstly taking some of the standard tools and you start applying them, you know, you bring in vendors, you know, you start looking at critical systems in the companies and identifying them and then kind of start doing deeper threat models. And then as you see the companies evolving with its product, you tap into all of those changes and kind of try to do a security requirement review to make sure that you're, you know, like if they're doing an integration with another partner or with another, you know, API, you just want to know that that is happening. And that's when you start kind of inserting yourself. Right. I love the dimension of going beyond risk management, but also towards enabling the business, right? Because at some times, even though the risk might be low, you might have to focus on things to enable the business, to unblock a deal, to help a customer, to unblock an audit. That's the right thing to do, obviously. So you're wearing dual hats, enabling the business, right. also managing the risk. So 
You mentioned interesting things around just listening to what is happening within the engineering organization, understanding what who is working on what, what is actually being built, deployed, what is getting the attention from the leadership, from the customers. How do you establish that as a process? Let's say, you know, you're looking at, you know, quarterly plannings or sprint plannings, and you're looking at all of those things as a security person where you don't have the detailed context of what microservice, what code repo belongs to who and what, how do you know what is high risk, what is low risk? How do you put that lens, risk-based lens on this? So there is going to be like, you, you should be talking to engineering teams and tech ops teams to educate yourself. That is a must so that you can understand. You know, you need to listen into where the business is moving and can automatically see the critical items bubble up automatically. But when you start kind of, you know, taking all of the inventory that you've collected, you know, you do need a process to now make the security activities not a random attempt at like running a tool against a random set of assets and be done with it. You always have to think that, you know, how am I going to take this security capability that I have in my hands, take the assets that I can see, and then kind of create a more repeatable process that is rigorous and of high quality and is able to give me what I'm looking for. For example, you know, you 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 have a tool, you, you see some assets and you run it once and you're done with it. That's kind of going to be very ad hoc. But if you start seeing that, how can I have a rigor of, you know, repeating this process? How can I extract the security backlog that the tool is saying in a meaningful way to the engineering team? How can I have a process with the engineering team to remediate this in a timely way that is where the process binds the you know randomness of running things at your own convenience to kind of running them with more consistency and providing value to the business by saying that the risk is actually getting remediated. Yeah. So this so you need a pipeline between enumeration, which can come from tools, processes, threat models, pen tests, so on and so forth. And then you pipe them into your process, and then the process essentially delivers a creates a security backlog. And then the security backlog is what needs remediation for which you need an entire process to how to remediate in the right amount of time. Right, right. I love the way you're talking about this. It's very structured. And you're rating the risk pipeline to a backlog, and then you have a whole other process to manage that backlog, right, and remediate the risk. Right. One of the foundational challenges that I've seen in many, many teams struggle with is you have a high-level understanding of what the products are that are critical to the business that's making a lot of revenue that's used by a lot of customers and it's a higher priority. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have hundreds of thousands of code repos, thousands of containers and AWS assets. How do you bridge that gap between a high-level product that sits as a skew on what you sell or your company sells with the tactical things that developers are working on day-to-day? Like, how do you know what belongs to what? True. So, so attribution... I think so, so the more time you spend with your product, the attribution problems starts to solve by itself. What happens is when you like when you take a tool, tool will give you scale. Okay. Tool will give you scale that it can say, I can scan all your containers in whatever some amount of hours. And I can give you a report that tells me what are your most vulnerable containers. Or I can kind of look into your open source, you know, libraries and tell you like where is the CVSS score that is high. So when you have tools, you get a scale. And when you have a scale and when you see a problem, you're motivated to go back and attribute that to respective teams. It takes time. But product security at initial days is more like, you know, you know, many people 
blindfolded touching an elephant and then realizing that it's an elephant. You know, that's pretty much how it is. So if you become overwhelmed with the number of assets you have and then you want to solve everything on day one, that's not how product security is going to happen. Product security is an incremental process towards making improvements every day. And once you've made an improvement, once you've understood scope, once you've understood priority, then you don't go back and you just make more improvements day in and day out. So over time, yes, you might have missed out on products you shouldn't have. You might have, you know, wrongly prioritized a product priority, but over time you recalibrate. So it's not a like, you know, you don't take a decision once and you stick to it. You you always improve, you always iterate over your decisions on is this the most important asset? Is this the most important priority? Because security at the end of the day is a problem of prioritization. It's not a problem of just brute forcing assets with tools or with people and then saying that this is what needs to be fixed. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's it's all risk management at the end of the day, right? So let's walk through that. Now that you have uh, enumerated the assets, the enumeration of the security issues, I'm sure our audience understands that really well through multiple different activities or tools or processes or what have you. Let's say you come up with a set of risks that are high priority that need to be remediated. And this is still, we are still talking about the, the first step, which is the reactive version of your product security maturity. But you need to pipe that into the engineering processes so they can be remediated correctly. Now, it would be amazing if we could just create a Jira ticket for somebody and people would fix it and, and we call it a day, right? But obviously that's not how things work. Do you have any tips or tricks that you can share for accelerating that remediation by different teams. Right. So the first trick is that, yes, you should ticket your security backlog because you want to make the process agnostic of the backend tools. You have one tool, you replace it with another, but if the ticketing is consistent, the engineering doesn't have to relearn a tool. So don't bring engineering to your security tooling just yet and have them and you go towards the process that they operate out of. So if they're working out of ticketing, you write tickets out for them. The other thing is that when you're ticketing, you know, you can cause, you have to be strategic in how you ticket that. For example, a container can have thousands of vulnerabilities. So I'd rather have one ticket per container rather than thousands of tickets out there. So you have to be strategic in how you capture the backlog and it's important to do that. And once you have done that, then, you know, labels or, you know, some level of data tagging is your friend because these tags will result in important issues bubbling up you being able to create dashboards, you can sift the noise, like you can have an entire backlog in a dashboard. But if you have labeled it with some special label, you can have a prioritized backlog that is different from the underlying backlog. And then you can just hand off the smaller version, which is highly prioritized to the engineering team. So the trick is to unify your security backlog to a common platform as opposed to in individual tools. Ticket it in a very strategic way such that it doesn't cause like, you know, too many ticket numbers or just doesn't make any sense. Or, and then once you have it, then you kind of start visualizing or kind of dashboarding the data. And then you kind of go to your engineering teams and now strategize the remediation strategies. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a very uh, opinionated question. Uh Do you ticket these things, backlog items, into a security project in Jira, or you distribute it across the dev team's Jira projects? If my team needs to do the work, it goes in a security team's project. But if someone needs to do their work, they need to see it in their project because if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. So we need to go to where engineering is operating, to the tool they use, to the queue they are in. 
and put a security, you know, tickets there. You can create a security issue type so that it distinguishes the issue from other issue types, but you should be in the engineering team's queue, not in your own queue. Right. Yeah, that's lovely. So either you create an issue type of separate security team or security issue, so it gets flagged. You could also use a label security yep. issue so they can flag it, prioritize it accordingly. Who, in your experience, who do you think are the right group of people to get those things prioritized? Because a lot of times the basic simplistic approach is to talk to the developers to fix them. A lot of times it doesn't work. In your experience, who is the right audience to make a decision whether the security backlog item should be prioritized in this sprint or not? Right. So firstly, you have to understand that why are you prioritizing something? You know, the reasons for that could be because there's risk associated with the issue. There is, you know, customer is asking for some remediation or, you know, you just have to do it because it's a long, you know, you, you have an SLE that you need to meet. So firstly, you need to understand the underlying risk. And firstly, the security team needs to internally agree that this is the right priority. You, you first have to have, let's say, if there's a sprint coming up, you need to internally decide that what's important for the sprint and why. The why is very important because it's not about like plugging in 20 issues or 100 issues. It's about these 20 and why these 20? Like, why not the other 20? I think that is an important aspect of where the product security team, you know, partnering with the technical program management within security is able to kind of come with that. Once we have that in play, then, you know, we need to work with the engineering team to first, not just say you go and fix it. We just discuss it, see what are their opinions about it. Do they push back? Do they don't agree with the priority? And kind of kind of reconcile the truly negotiated backlog that we are agreeing upon. And once that happens, that backlog is then tracked to completion and make like any other project is because now we have exited the security domain and now we have entered the project execution domain and that can be treated like any other project that engineering is conducting. It just happens that these tickets are specialized to solve the security problems of the company, which is why it's important to converge into other company operates rather than bring people to your processes and your tools. Love it. Yeah, I think it's a great piece of advice and especially the handoff between when the security owner, not necessarily the ownership, I would say, but the security heavy work ends and when it gets into the realm of execution by the dev teams. That's true. And depending on the culture, it could be, you know, an engineering manager, product manager, tech lead, whoever needs to look at it, but whatever the culture for the company is, they then take ownership of it. Exactly. Love it. So... And I also like the fact what you mentioned earlier, which is tag it with appropriate labels or appropriate level of metadata. So then you can build dashboards and then you can report on things. Can you share some examples of things that you might be reporting using this metadata? So firstly, we are able to, you know, sort it per leader, like, hey, you know, this person, this leader has uh, so much security backlog so they can focus on on that. We can look at the overall security backlog, you know, split as per the severity, so that we know the size of the security backlog as well. So, so they're like, we are able to, like, you know, for example, if we get a pen test done within the company and we want the vendor to come back, you know, 90 days from now, we will tag them such that thematically we're able to identify. So what you'll see is like, you know, dashboards that either show attribution, either show the priority or show some theme that essentially might be, you know, a theme, like, for example, we want to, take care of our pen test findings and by this date, and we want to work towards that. So yeah, so all of these labels essentially allow us to create these dashboards, and then we can kind of zoom into 
one problem rather than sift through like a bunch of issues that might be unrelated to each other. Fantastic. Yeah, we, in my previous role, we used to use a terminology of a remediation campaign, which is exactly similar to what you're talking about, which is at some point, you know, during annual customer facing audits or pen tests, that would be the number one priority for us, for everyone to focus on. But during other months, other quarters of the business, there would be other priorities. Like we would run a campaign for fixing every single base container image that would be used across the company. So in that quarter, that was a priority. So we would build dashboards specifically for uh, fixing base images. At other times, it would be like a Java-focused remediation campaign or, you know, uh, JavaScript-focused campaign, whatever it is, right? So pick a theme, build dashboards, and drive metrics for that particular business objective within that time frame. All right. Right. I think one important thing that's important is like while we're talking ticketing, tickets don't necessarily have to be like, you know, small issues. They can be strategic remediation items as well. And a security team needs to find a balance between, you know, those short wins that will make the issue go away and the long strategic investment that if a company makes might kind of reduce the entire class of vulnerabilities. So while I say ticket and this sounds small, I think the work behind the ticket depends on what's in the ticket not necessarily a vulnerability, but it could be like an architectural investment that one company needs to make uh, right. to, to become better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. And and I think aligning with how engineering works within your organization, that would be a much better decision. So if engineering is used to structuring types of work in, in the format, for example, of an epic and task and issues and things like that, then aligning with that would make a lot of sense because that will also convey either the size of work or the priority of work to whoever needs to work on it. Right. Awesome. Now, let's talk a little bit about being proactive at this. We talked a lot about uh, being reactive, responding to risk being introduced. You mentioned a few things around invest in investing in protection from the beginning where you know security sits side by side with the deployed apps or the infrastructure and uh, presents real-time preventive controls. How do you envision that? Like, is that just a technology-specific thing or is that something more than that? So the way I've seen the evolution happen so far is that, you know, the security team takes its own set of tools, the assets, and then runs stuff. Then we start interfering with the developer's workflows that, you know, you're checking in bad stuff, we will try to break your build, etc. And then in the protection phase, you're kind of sitting more alongside the application and trying to make intelligent decisions around whether this is supposed to happen or not. You know, we've, in the past, you know, we've done this with infrastructure that, you know, if you're going to make infrastructure insecure, you know, the automation would come and make it secure for you so that, you know, if you're making a security mistake in infrastructure, we would essentially fix that for you. So I think on the protection side, you know, it depends, you know, if you're trying to protect using an intelligent next generation WAF or you're trying to protect your APIs, or you're trying to protect your infrastructure, that protection essentially is very specific to the company. And I'm seeing that technologies are springing up in that layer, but it's not like equivalent to the enumeration that we can do in security today. So preventative controls are there in some shape or form, but you know, it's the security team needs to think deeply about what are they trying to protect and then adopt some of them that makes the most sense for them. For some people, it might be the infrastructure policies that, you know, are important. For others, it might be the APIs that not just need testing, but also need protection. 
Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I want to double click on one topic, which is the sequencing of these controls. Now, I'm not arguing with the need for protective controls, but does it have to be sequenced, you know, Actually, I don't even know if you said it has to be sequenced after the enumeration and, you know, the, the left of uh, deployment pipeline controls. But is there a world where preventive controls like this, RASP, WAF, whatever you call it, comes in before anything else? It, it, in my dictionary, I think, you know, you're supposed to get more comfortable with your assets, your company. You're supposed to understand it a bit better before introducing preventative controls. Like... Just to take an example of, let's say, APIs, right? You don't want to protect your APIs. You first want to test them, be comfortable, have an idea where they are, be able to find, discover new APIs that get introduced. So you kind of want to get a handle over what what is it that you have and then eventually move towards protection. I, do, I don't see that. You know, you protect first and then test later. So you kind of, you know, in my, in, my, in my way, I think I would kind of progress on start small, kind of get the confidence and then kind of go big because when you're, when you're kind of in the product, you have a much higher responsibility to not just protect, but also the runtime and the uptime of the product is equally important at that time. Right, right. Yeah, 100% agree to that. One scenario that I was thinking of when I asked that question is uh, back when struts came out as an issue, I was talking to one of my peers and they were a big Java shop and they were using struts all over the place within their platform. So effectively for them to remediate struts would take 15 developers and six months worth of work to get there. But obviously you can't live with that risk for a long time. So they had to invest in a protective control as a surgical instrument just to manage that specific risk because it was so high, such a big risk that they had to build some controls for it before. And this was in the beginning of their AppSec journey. But maybe that's a very specific case where it justifies that investment. No, it's, it's, it's a good point. Like, I think at the end of the day, we're here to not do things in a certain order, but to reduce risk. So whatever reduces the risk in the shortest amount of time and keeps the business up and running, I think that is the the right way to do it. Uh, you know, in WAFs, you know, usually you can bring up a protection, but then you should never forget to fix the underlying problem, you know, so that eventually, you know, a WAF maybe is abandoned at that time. It's not a full-fledged protection service, if you will. And then you go back and fix your, in this case, struts, and then you can kind of enable more stronger rules at the end of the day. But Whatever works for the business to reduce risk is the right strategy. There is no strategy that, you know, is right or wrong in this case. You just need to adopt to your business's needs. Right, right. That makes sense. Now, Mohit, as you look into the future a little bit more, what does the future product security look like for you? So one thing I forecast is that context will play a very important part in product security in future. Like the same CVE in two different places today doesn't mean the same thing. And there's a lot of like, you know, negotiation needed in order to come to that. I believe that a lot of product security will factor in context and then, you know, not treat all CVEs or CVSS scores the same and depends on today. The approach is a bit simplistic and, and the approach will become a slightly more complex. I also see, like I've, I've said this, I think we'll see more of product and cloud merge, not just from a responsibility perspective, but even from the tooling perspective, the cloud security tool chain will climb up to application security, the application security 
security stacks, you know, provided by vendors will climb down to the cloud security space and, and uh, eventually, you know, we'll have companies who are selling security stacks rather than security tools. And that is going to be like one comprehensive solution from the top to the bottom is, is how I see, you know, the industry move towards. That's such a recurring cycle, right? There's always a consolidation and then there's a fragmentation and every few years we go back to consolidation and then fragmentation. Right. Mohit, this has been such a phenomenal conversation with you. I appreciate you spending time with us on this podcast. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.